Lord, we pray that as we look at your word right now, what we have just sung will land in our hearts and you'll be pleased. So speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Thank you. I kind of enjoyed sitting down last time, so I think I'm just going to keep doing that. And my wife said, you're not such a spaz when you're standing up. So maybe I'll listen to her and do that. You like to go on walks? Yeah. I mean, when you get older, uh, you start going for a walk every day, right? And uh, I actually put it in my calendar called Walk with Jesus um, every day. And because uh, um, when I go for a walk, I don't know about you, but when I do, I seem to encounter something uh, out in the creation that shows me about God or some situation or people I meet or something uh, that about me that God shows me because it just never fails. I was walking um, a month ago. Now, usually I like to walk by the river or someplace up the, towards the cross. I live in Glenwood. That's nicer, uh, but um, you got to take it when you can get it. I'm getting my tires rotated at uh, uh, Alpine Tire a month ago, you know, down there in Glenwood. And so I'm, I'm going to go for a walk around there. And I, I walk um, towards Walmart, and then I go left on Blake, is it, towards that upper parking lot. And uh, I'm getting to the end of that street where that big yellow uh, guard uh, gate is that blocks off Blake going down. Um, you people seem to know what I'm talking about. Is your, yeah. And uh, as I get up to there, there's a homeless guy seated right there on the, on the, on the curb. Um, he's been there frequently, and he holds out a sign, anything would help. And so uh, I, I'm accustomed to sort of asking real quickly, is there anything I should do, Lord? And I don't really hear anything, plus I have no money uh, on me, um, and uh, I never have any cash on me, actually. Uh, and so I keep walking, and I go through the gate. I'm going to walk down into town, and right on the other side of that gate, uh, there's like this big ice dam, lake of ice, or ice sheet there, and this is actually not a story about me crashing and burning on the ice. But I'm trying to go across the ice, and I'm looking down, and there are cars parked around. And I also hear this person say to me, hey, sir. And I get my balance on the ice, and I look to the right, and there is this uh, old uh, Jeep Wagoneer, maybe like late 80s or something like that. And this uh, lady uh, has opened the door, and she's looking between the door and the windshield, and she says, sir, do you have a dollar for some food? And I did not have a dollar for some food. And so I answered her question. And I said, actually, I don't, I think I look like I have a dollar. I didn't say that part. I know I look like I have a dollar, but I don't have a dollar for some food. And then I make, she goes, okay. And she gets in her car and shuts the door. And there's another guy in there and his head is just down. And uh, I'm, I got off the ice and now I'm walking a little further and you go, what do you do? You go, Lord, what was that about? What, what, what was I supposed to see in that? Or was there something there? And I get it really clear, actually. You gave the correct answer to the wrong question. What was the right question? I mean, she didn't ask the right question. She was shooting really low. Um, what was the right question? Sir, could you help me with some food? She asked me for a dollar, and I answered her question. I didn't have a dollar. All right, Lord, so if, that, if she had asked the right question, what should I do? 
get her some food. So I did my loop, got back to my truck, hopped in my truck, went over to Subway, about the biggest sandwiches I could get, you know, uh, that seemed healthy, because uh, McDonald's didn't seem healthy for this particular thing. And so I got the biggest ones I could get with, uh, uh, you know, the grilled chicken and the, and the steak and put all the vegetables on there. I don't like that or not, but it seemed vegetables seemed good. Did throw some cookies in because he doesn't like that. And uh, it was not a dollar. Um, it ended up like over $20. And uh, I, I go, I hope they're still there since God told me to do this. And so I drive back around and I pull in now and go over that ice dam and then right in front of there. Now I'm driving my truck and my truck is a pretty nice truck actually. And so at first they look intimidated, like, oh, what's going on? And I roll down my window, but she opens the door, leans her head out the door and says, sir, do you have a dollar for some food? And uh, I said, actually, I was just walking by here and I do not have a dollar, but I do. And I realized I have to get up. I was hoping she'd come to the door and I could like drive through and <laughs> hand it to her, you know, and then be on my way was my plan. And uh, that she wasn't going to do that. And so I open my door. I get the sandwiches. I go over it. And now she's standing there uh, between the door on her side. And I'm on the side of the door. And I, I, I do have some food for you. And I hand her the sandwiches. She goes, oh, my God. Oh, my. And she says over and over. Oh, my God. You don't even know. You don't even know how much we need this. She's going on and on. And she puts the sandwiches down. I mean, she's kind of making me uncomfortable. And then she puts her hand out between the car door, and I'm right there. I'd have preferred if she'd have gone like this, so I can shake her hand. But it's a grimy hand, and it's like this. And I know there's only one thing I can really do, is put my hand out. And sure enough, she grabs it. And we're, we're, we're like this. And I'm going, oh, this is way too intimate for me. <laughs> Plus, you got dirty hands, man. And, I'm, and, and, and it, she would not let go. She would not let go. And I, I, it, felt like, uh, five, it felt like 10 minutes to me. And it could have been a minute. But it was, well, it wasn't a minute. It was at least two. It was long. I'm, see, I'm really good when I'm creating awkward. <laughs> I really enjoy creating awkward. Uh, it never happens. You know, and then let's just sit in the tension of the awkward moment. I like that. But that wasn't this. this was, she had done this. And she had my hand. And she would not let it go. Her gratitude was more than I uh, really could handle. And I, I don't know if you've ever had the hand of a hungry person that won't let go of you. It's a mess. It's a mess. She's shaking my hand. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, I did. I, I hate to say this. I went, you're welcome. And I pulled my hand back. And she goes, you don't know how much it means. And I said, well, enjoy the meal. God bless you. And she says, no, God bless you. And I get in my car and I'm driving off. And uh, Lord, thank you for uh, putting me in that. And that apparently she was praying hard for this. She would not let go. And God grabbed hold of my heart and wouldn't let go. And I had this awareness that 
This is a tangible expression of what we're always talking about. What I'm always talking about of loving God and loving people. Right there. And God would not let my heart go. And she made me uncomfortable, and that was the point. To confront in me. She didn't know this. God knew this. I mean, God probably told her, you, you put your hand out there and make a mess out of this for this guy. And I pulled it back and knew that God was in that moment. James, that we're talking about this week, right here, is that. It's this exact thing. And it's almost like James, he just messes with us, almost like he puts his hand out, so you deal with what I'm going to tell you here, because it's a mess, and it's a, it's a challenge. Uh, and it's exactly what was happening with this lady for me. Let me go into it real quick. Or not quick. I'm going to go fast because we've got a lot to talk about. But I think what this is saying in the book of James right here, I guarantee that you can't pull this week off without encountering this something around this situation. I'm not sure that you can pull a day off where the reality of what James is talking about won't apply. So uh, if you've, you're going to get something even if it's a challenge. And he starts off in verse uh, 27. Actually, in verse 26, Daniel was talking last week. He says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. He's talking about religion. And then he goes, uh, now put up 27 if you would, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Religion that our God and Father accepts. I hope, uh, if you've been around here a while, that should already kind of raise your eyebrow. Really? Religion that our God and Father accepts? Because actually, if you look through the Scripture, anytime religion is being talked about, it's not being talked about positively. Jesus confronted the religious leaders who believed everything and didn't live anything. Religion is really the problem. Matter of fact, this is a crazy thing he said. James has a lot of insight into religion. He says, religion that God our Father accepts. All religions, including most of Christianity, sorry to say, is about trying to get God or the deity to accept you or approve of you, to get his approval. And then, if you figure out what the right thing is, or you don't do the wrong thing, he'll accept you, and now you're in. But if you don't do the right thing, or you haven't figured that out, you're over, now you're out. That's why religion is so ugly. It's a mess, religion is. And when you hear the word religion, it ought to go, wait, stop. I don't want any of that. And here, James, this is the only place that it's even slightly mentioned positive. Religion. Religion that our God and Father accepts. Huh. Well, James is messing with you right here because he knows what we know, only more so. And he says, and he implants it right in this phrase. Religion that our God, and did you see it? Did you get it? Why did he put it there? 
our Father. What would that mean? Our Father. Well, that's profound right there. Okay, so you know from the Old Testament, we were back back when we were doing Luke, right, that uh, Jesus changed the paradigm about the Father. In the Old Testament, it was the Father of the nation. But when Jesus comes along, He reveals to us that it's not just the Father of the nation. When you pray, pray to our Father who is in heaven. He's your personal Father. He's our Father collectively, and He's your Father, your heavenly Father. Do you realize how good, and how good this news is? Because He's a good Father. We were just singing this. He's a good Father. How does a good Father relate to His kids, to His brothers, I mean, to the sons and daughters, the brothers and sisters? How does He relate to them? Well, a good Father does exactly the opposite of what that's saying. He accepts them. Why? Because He loves them, no matter what they do. You can't do anything right enough for God to accept you, and you can't do anything wrong enough for Him to reject you. You can't do anything right enough for Him to love you more, or wrong enough for Him to love you less. That's incredible news. So this religion that God our Father accepts, that's an interesting thing that James is doing right here. He wants you to live in the tension of this thing right now. You mean there's a religion that He accepts? Oh, but he's our father? Yeah, that's what, it's, that's what he's saying. So you are, you are supposed to sit here right now going, I'm a son or a daughter. That's good news. Yeah, but what's he going to say about this type of religion that God does accept? Okay, let's work it. It says that it accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. To look after those people who have been cut off, obviously orphans who no longer have parents, but it means so much more than that. Uh, people who no longer have a guide, have no, no longer have anybody looking out for them, no, no longer uh, somebody to help them navigate. They are, they are uh, untethered and uh, uh, without help. Or widows. Widows, not just that their husband died. In that culture, when your husband died uh, and there was no other family to pick it up, you were cut off from any legal help. You were alienated in the system. There was nobody to advocate for you. You want to know religion that God our Father accepts? Taking care of those people who are orphans and those people who are in distress with nobody to advocate for them. And then he adds one other thing. And to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. What are you doing, James? Okay, so I read commentaries on this, and a number of them said, yeah, you don't want to be polluted by the world. You don't want to have worldly thinking. You don't want to let the sin of the world creep into your life. You want to have a righteous life, and that's what he's saying. So take care of the, uh, the poor, the widows, the orphans, and live a, a righteous life. Um, I don't think that's what he's saying. Actually, I'm not, I don't have a problem pushing back against some of those scholar guys. Just look at the context, okay? When James wrote this, he didn't write this with numbers for verses and for chapters. He wrote it so you'd read the, the, the flow of what he's doing. So religion that God, our Father, accepts that's pure and blameless is taking care of or looking after, which may be more than just getting sandwiches for people, might be walking with them through their stuff, as messy as that could be, looking after orphans and widows, and not being polluted by the world. And then what does it say? My brother, 2-1, put it up. My brothers and sisters, 
Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, get this, must not show favoritism. Okay. Being polluted by the world. Polluted literally means stained. The world apparently can throw something on you, like black paint or whatever, and it will stain you. And you walk around stained. Don't be stained by the world. You want to know what stains you according to the context? Favoritism. Of all the things he could have picked, by the way, he picked favoritism. Why did he do that? Well, favoritism, I bet I think best describes how the world systems works. And we're not talking about the creation, the physical world, and we're not even talking about the people in the world, although the people in the world uh, who operate in the world system uh, bring and this about, and uh, it gets manifest through how they behave or how we behave when we got stains on us like this. How is that? It looks like I'm here and you're there. Or maybe I'm here and you're there. Or maybe you're rich and I'm poor. Or maybe you're smart and I'm stupid. Or maybe you're educated and I have no opportunity. Yeah. It says in Romans, God does not show favoritism. He sees everybody the same. The very opposite of that is the world sees the rank and file, the social status of people. And then what? Judges based on that. If you want to know what the world is like, I mean, come on now. That intuitive, you know that's intuitively how the world works. Yes, there's all the other dynamics in the world. But it's clear It's clear that if there was a hook out there to get any of us, it would be on this subject of of looking at somebody and putting them in that category and then putting myself in this category or putting somebody I really respect in that category and wishing I was in that category. Let me emphasize, James, we're studying James here, not Paul, he, he embeds this idea here that just blows it up. So I just read 2.1, and I zoomed past uh, this phrase of believers in our glorious Lord. Put it up there, 2.1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, did you catch uh, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Now, usually when I read that, uh, I kind of zoom past because it's like literary stuff that's sort of opening up a letter. You know what I mean? James, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is how he started the letter. Cool that he's the half-brother of Jesus. Could invoke social status, by the way. Because I, if I'm half-brother of Jesus, I'm a lot closer than you are, right? And I can turn and go, James, half-brother of Jesus, listen up. But he says a servant. And what's interesting is, he does not mention Jesus anywhere else in the book. Remember I said a month ago, you have to read the rest of James with Jesus in mind, okay? You have to do that or you're not going to get it. But he doesn't talk about Jesus anywhere in the book except right here. Right in the middle of this part. Now, why would he do that? Look at what it says. It says, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, which of course the Lord Jesus Christ is glorious. Now, the translation is accurate. 
but it can be translated in a different order. And I think probably uh, it's more helpful how other translators uh, are, are translating the order of these words because it gives light into what the context of, of the Scripture is showing. It could read, and maybe even more accurately read, accurately read my brothers and sisters of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory, or our glory. Why would that be important? Believers of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glory. Now, James was writing to Jewish believers. Okay, he says the 12 tribes of people who were scattered around. Um, and so they believe in Jesus, they're following Jesus, but they got Jewish background. They would have understood what, Je- what James was talking about. They would have gone back in their mind, because every Jew would know this, back to uh, Exodus 40. Exodus 40, where the, the Israelites are out in the wilderness, they're instructed to build a tabernacle, right? They build a tabernacle, and what shows up? God shows up in fire and smoke. And they called it the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory, you've heard that term, right? The Shekinah glory of God, which is the visible glory of God. You know God is glorious even if you don't see it. But sometimes you do. And when you do, that's the Shekinah glory of God. What's really cool, okay, fast forward up to Jesus. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, it said, And the Logos became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And dwelt. Dwelled. Some verses, uh, like uh, the message says, uh, moved into the neighborhood. I love that. The second person of the Trinity, the cosmic Christ, becomes a man. Jesus becomes flesh and dwells. And the word there is oikos. It literally, which means house. Um, that's why uh, uh, the message says and came to the neighborhood. But what it literally means is tabernacled. God, whose presence was in a fire, is now present and tabernacles amongst you. If you wanted to see the glory of God, if you want to see the presence of God, all you got to do is look at Jesus because that's what it looks like. Okay? That's awesome, by the way. That's awesome. Now the glory of God is manifest in a, in a person. And then we know what Jesus did, his work on the cross. We'll talk more about that later. And then uh, his work is finished. And he goes up, right? And what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and does what? Inhabits his people. Who are they? The brothers and the sisters that are being written to here and are, that are sitting at 110 Snowmass Drive right now. He inhabits them. And the glory of God the Shekinah glory now will be manifested in God's people. I hope you zoom to the present in your thinking. Because now, brothers and sisters, we carry the glory of God. People will see the presence of God. When you show up, when you're there, and you encounter whatever situation you're in, at work, at school, or behind Walmart, wherever you're at, will they see 
the glory of God. Put the, put the, where we're going with this, how it's connecting. Put it together. Okay, James says religion that God, God accepts is, uh, that's pure and blameless is taking care of the orphan and the widow in their distress and not being stained by the world, which looks like favoritism. How is it then that a believer, somebody who follows Jesus, is moving about, and instead of somebody seeing the glory, they see the stain. And they see what the world looks like more than what the Savior looks like. James is saying, look, I grew up with this guy. I was his brother. I'm his half-brother. We had the same room. He had the top bunk. And I watched him, and I thought he was a dork. He was always talking funny. I never understood it. He, James is probably the guy, when Jesus says, let's go up to Jerusalem, and he says, no, we're not going up there. You're going to get killed up there. I'm thinking Jesus knew that. But James didn't. He didn't pick up on who this was, really, until afterwards. So when he tells you, I missed it. I was right there with him, and I missed it. Don't you miss this. Don't you miss this. And it's so subtle, isn't it? It's so subtle how we can just operate in a split second in the system of the world, which looks like showing favoritism. And then he gives an example, which is not very fun. I don't actually think very much of this is fun. Look at it says in verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, and you say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. I don't even have a chair for you. Um, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges? Because that's what the world system is, is judging. Become judges with evil thoughts. Get this. this is, he's messing with us. How many times do you think this is, where has this been preached? And how many times has it been preached in the last 2,000 years? Well, it's been preached I don't, thousands and thousands of times. I don't know many, how, many, how many times it's being preached today across the country right now. What were you supposed to do when you heard this? Because he says, in your meeting. You know when that is? That's now. He's talking about in your meeting. He's like bringing it home. You're all sitting listening to this right now. And you're all sitting and listening to this right now to James. And imagine if a rich guy who's got a lot of bling uh, comes in and you go, yeah, that guy's got resources. And imagine a poor guy who sticks out his hand and it's all dirty and you don't really want to do that. And he, you sit over here. Nobody would do that. Matter of fact, no rich guy will let you do that anymore. Right? But here's what we'll do. I mean, let's just get real, okay? Let's not, let's not act around this. It takes $67,000 a month for this church to continue on. For you to have this place to come in here. And to staff this so that you can be equipped and we can do ministry and have outreach and a lot of good stuff that God's called us to do. And there are people in this church right now who are making that happen with their generosity. But I'm going to tell you, we need a lot more to do what God's called us to do. I'm not joking. And so James is going to mess with you, with me, especially because I think he might be talking to me more than you. 
When that guy comes walking in, and you can tell, the Aston Martin is parked over there. And, he, and you don't seat him up to the front. Of course nobody would do that, because he wouldn't do that. You say, hey, want to get some lunch? I'd love to tell you about the orchard. I'd love to tell you why this is the best place you could possibly invest your money. I'd love to tell you that of all the things you can do, here's why this is so significant, of loving God and loving people. It's real, and, it's, and, and, and it resonates. And here's what we're going to do about transformation in the valley. I'd love to tell you about all that. Ooh. That's a mess. That's a mess. And then this poor person comes in. See, the rich person comes in, and we want something from them. The poor person comes in and we think they want something from us. Because what? They're trying to figure out how to live. So they're tr- anything they got to do to manipulate whatever they can get. So then we kind of got to evaluate that, make the judgment. Am I helping or hurting? You know, I don't want to be an enabler on this. I don't want to enable this person to just continue on, to never get out of their hole. Why are they in that hole anyway? What is it with them? That's what James is talking about. That's what he's talking about. I don't mean to be so relevant. The tension is huge. Then he says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God, uh, verse 5, you got it? Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and get this, to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. Whoa! The poor inherit the kingdom? Sounds like the Beatitudes back uh, when uh, uh, Luke was talking about that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they'll inherit the kingdom. The meek, they'll inherit the kingdom. It's flipped upside down. Do you realize James is saying, What you really need is what you can get from the poor person. They have something that you really need. Whether you're uh, in this meeting or uh, you're a person with resources, it's the poor person who has something that you need. They have the kingdom. They understand some things, maybe, that you need to understand, that we need to understand. Get the picture here. Okay, so here's uh, this meeting right here. There, there will have been over 300 people uh, at the orchard in the two services. And um, somebody comes walking in, and they have resources. We recognize that. Shake their hand. Want to get lunch. What they do is they bring their world system in here. It even says, why do you do this? Um, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name to whom you're belonging? Nothing wrong with being rich. I'm not saying that. What he's saying, though, is don't come in here and bring that system in. There's supposed to be an attitude and an environment in the house where there is no favoritism. And so they should actually come in and feel, whoa, what is going on here? What, what about the life that's here? The kingdom is here because all God's people are here. The Shekinah glory is here. Oh. Because everybody's here. Is everybody here? We say, one of our axioms for this church is there's room here for everyone. 
But that's not just talking about those who are on the right and those who are on the left, those who have this preference or that preference, those who believe the right things and those who believe. It's not just talking about that. It's talking about even the social status. And I got to tell you, church is probably the most segregated hour of the week around the country. Why? Because we all hang out with people who are like us. Quite frankly, I'll be honest with you, I like hanging out with people who are kind of like me. Maybe just a little better than me and then I can, you know, kind of move up. (laughs) Doing ministry if you're less than me. We all hang out with people who are like us. That's not how it should be. Everybody should be here, the rich and the poor. Why? Because you want the kingdom here. Now, I got to tell you, there's a gal who goes to our church. She's here at least um, three Sundays out of the month. And um, she is homeless. She hasn't had a place to live for three years. And I asked her um, if I could interview her. She said, no way. Are you kidding? I said, wait a minute. I believe that you have something to teach us. If I'm talking about uh, folks in her situation having something to give us, um, let me ask you some questions. I asked her some questions. Tell me what you know about God. And she rattled off the names of God. I go, how do you know those? Did you study those? No. I know those every day. He is my protector. I live in my car. He is my provider. Is that like today? No, I don't know what we're going to have for lunch. And he does it, and he's done it over and over again. Last night as I was praying through this, and then this morning, um, I felt God tell me, don't do it. Don't interview her. Um, That even though she has something, I had this vision of her praying for you and imparting something to you, which sounded pretty good to me. Uh, but uh, uh, God was saying, don't expose her to what? But the orchard is a different church. I view us as different, honestly. I love the orchard. I love who we are. I love what we're about. But God said, don't do that. Don't do that. Because the judgment comes so quick. It comes so quick that you don't even know you're doing it. There can't be somebody in the house who's being judged by the people in the house. That that would be stains everywhere. That's like throwing paint everywhere and getting all over the place. But she has some stuff to teach us. Maybe you'll meet her. Look at what it says here in verse 8. It says, if you really keep, if you really keep, that's a setup. He's messing with you here, just like on that religion thing. If you really keep the law found in Scripture, what law is that? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's right there on the banner. That's the vision of this church. It comes from Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what this simple love God and love people is. That is who we are. If you really keep that, you're keeping a royal law. Isn't it? James is the only guy who says this. It says royal, right? The royal law. If it's royal, that means you have a king. And if you have a king, you have a kingdom. Jesus is always talking about the kingdom. James gets this. He lays this out to you and I. 
When you live out loving God and loving people, you are bringing the kingdom. And it's mostly expressed when you live it out with people who need some help, who are disenfranchised. Have you ever noticed the hardest people to love are those that are closest to you and then the people that are way out there on the fringe that you get to judge? We'll get to the closest to you later. But right now we're talking about, not this Sunday, don't worry. Um, We're talking about the people on the fringe who are in the orbit. Okay, look what it says. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a a lawbreaker. Now, James, why are you going back to the Old Testament? That's how the Old Testament works. He's talking about Old Testament law, right? Which was this standard that you could never pull off completely. Oh, you might pull it off for a while. You might do the Ten Commandments for a while. But then you slip up on one, slip up a little, and you slipped up on it all. And you find what? That you don't measure up, you're not connected to God, that your sin is in the way, and you need what? A Savior. And all the people of the Old Testament found themselves in that situation and had faith that one day a Savior would come and redeem them. That's how the Old Testament, James is talking about that. Now Jesus comes along and says, I fulfilled the law. There's a new law. The law is really simple. It's the law of freedom. And this new freedom law is all you got to do is love God and love people. But if you're like me, I kind of bang up against this law a little bit because I do it better than I used to, but I love intermittently. I don't know if that's your experience. Sometimes I'm in. I'm on. I got a story for you. And sometimes I've just put the pedal to the metal and drive right on past whatever there is. He even goes on to say that speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Judged by the law? When, how, how does that work? It's like um, being accepted for religion, judged by the law, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. What James is going to do is he's going to just level us and say, How do you fit here? How's your love? Do you have your love on? Is it working? You can tell. You can tell by whether you show favoritism. That's how you can tell. Do you rank people? Even slightly. And you find yourself judged by this law. And you're stuck. James leaves us stuck right there. You're supposed to live this thing out. You're supposed to live it out. And then we find ourselves, oh, if I didn't, I'm being judged by that very law. But there's four words, and I'm done. There's four words that he says. If there's four words I could put in your mind, in your heart, for today, tomorrow, the rest of the James series, four words that James says for the rest of your life, if you only had four words, it would mean everything. Even though we don't measure up to the royal law and bring the kingdom. Even though we show favoritism, put up those four words. Mercy, it says, triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How many times do you have to say it before it's in there? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy, you know what triumphs means? 
It means mercy wins. Which, by the way, is this new law that's been extended to you. God has been merciful to you. Even when we haven't been merciful to someone else. Which ought to lead us to a, a sense of appreciation and gratitude that what? Instead of being religious to get God's approval, because of God's approval and His mercy on us, I can then extend mercy to somebody else. It's the best news ever. It's the coolest thing ever. Judgment is how the whole world works. Judgment is at the root of millions upon millions of people being killed. Judgment is what isolates people and separates even races. The worst things have been done with judgment. Judgment has destroyed people, destroyed relationships, thrown sickening stains all over the world. That's what judgment has done. But Jesus, who was judged, he was, well, you know what he was convicted of? Of being the king of the Jews. And that was true, by the way. But judgment was hurled on him. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Those are judgment terms. It was judgment that hit him in the face and put the cat of nine tails on his back and ripped him up and nobody could even recognize him. It was judgment that pushed the uh, the crown of thorns down into his head. It was judgment that strapped that beam on his back and made him carry it to the hill that they were going to kill him on while everybody shouted out judgment to him. Crucify him, crucify him. It was, those were nails of judgment that were pierced through his hands. It was judgment that killed him and judgment that put him in a tomb and rolled that stone and covered it up. That was all judgment. But in the darkest place of sin and death, it was mercy that started to work. It was mercy that rolled open a tomb. And it was mercy that came out and said, look. And he showed up even in this room where all his followers are, was scared to death. And what does he say? What does mercy say? The first thing he says, peace to you. Peace comes with mercy. Mercy wins. It was mercy that gave a bunch of ragtag guys this mission of doing this simple thing of loving God and loving people, which we just found out isn't that simple because it's not just something you believe, it's something that you do every day, everywhere. It's something that you completely set aside. I will not be this way because that is not the kingdom. I will be this way and I will extend love to somebody that nobody else will do it to. I will not judge you. I will not try to figure out why you were in your circumstance. I will not try and be your counselor and then determine whether or not you are worthy of my help or not. I won't do that. I'll extend mercy. What's mercy? It's when somebody deserves something and they get something different. Because you and I deserve something and we got something different. You and I deserve death and we got life. You are now a brother and a sister in the house. Oh my goodness. Brothers and sisters. 
Let's repent of the stains that are on us. And let us not just think about this. Let us do something. What if you, Orchard, lived out the reality of who you are, that you're a glory carrier, and that you bring this mercy and hope to people in this valley, whether they're rich and hopeless or whether they're poor and hopeless. Wherever they're at, what if we brought that simple love God and love people? That's what James just said. That's what James just said. If our eyes are open, we'll find it's all around us. It's all around us. So when you take communion, what you're doing with these elements, today it's a table of mercy. It's a symbol of what has been given to you. And while it's free to you, it was very expensive. And you may be taking it today back in your seat and feeling like, you know, Lord, there's stains all over me. I am so sorry. I've been about me or I've been about it. I've been about this. Forgive me. Because you know what he does? He does. So it's a table of mercy today. Let me pray. So Lord, thank you that we are brothers and sisters here in your house and that you have extended mercy to us because, just because you love us. Not because we're this or we're that or we're high or we're low. Just because you love us. I pray, Lord, that this whole valley will be different because in this place, today in this house, in our hearts, as you extend your hand out to us, we'll grab it and you won't let it go and you won't let our hearts go. And now there'll be hope for the disenfranchised, for the lonely, the isolated, the homeless. In Jesus' name, amen.